Welcome to the Live Love Ministries podcast, a place where we share thoughts, insights, and experiences from the mission field. I'm Eric. I'm Brittany. And I'm Julia. And we're the Live Love Ministries team. Welcome back to the Live Love Ministries podcast. Thank you for joining us for the second half of this two-part conversation we've called Forced to Flee, a Refugee Story. If you haven't listened to last week's podcast episode, I would encourage you to do so before listening to this one. Brittany and I are sitting down with Victoria and Shakina, two of our daughters, and we're continuing our conversation today. Last week, we discussed what a refugee is, what led to the refugee crisis. We talked about life in a refugee camp. And in this week, we are moving on in our discussion, talking about refugees and their adjustment to life in their new country once they are resettled. And ultimately, we end with what I believe is the most important, how Christians and how the church should respond to the refugee crisis. Make sure to listen all the way to the end as Brittany and I discuss the personal impact that refugees have had on our life and on our family. Again, this episode was recorded uh, outside of our normal controlled environment, so there's a little more variation in volume and maybe a crying kid or a door slam that you hear. So give us a bit of grace in that today as you listen. We hope this episode is encouraging. We hope it's challenging, and we hope it brings a greater awareness to the needs of those around us. Enjoy. All right, so let's kind of transition. We talked about life. We talked about Congo. We talked about life in a refugee camp, and and we talked about you know the struggles there, but also the hope. And so if families are fortunate enough to be resettled in the United States or other countries, um, let's talk a little bit about that, what, what life is like when you first come. And so before you guys share a little bit of that, I, I want to share something too, just that maybe that people don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay, so say, you know, the average time is 17 years. We've talked about that in the refugee camp. But say that uh, a family is fortunate enough to get resettled. Um, the UNHCR does their paperwork. Everything is fine. They say they're going to end up in Phoenix, Arizona. Let's bring it into our context. They end up in Phoenix, Arizona. They're coming into a major metropolitan area. Um, they came from a refugee camp, which is extremely rural, uh, you know, agricultural, um, small homes, uh, things like that. Now they're coming to a major metropolitan area, and they're coming. They're going to resettle here. And so they come, though. They don't just come and everything's easy and perfect for them. Now I'm here. Mm -hmm. They actually come in debt, right? Like, it costs money to get refugees, say, from Malawi. So they have to take an airplane from Malawi somewhere else to here to get here. Mm -hmm. What most people don't realize is that when refugees come, they come. Welcome to America. Here's your bill for your plane ticket. Mm -hmm. It costs you and your family. So if you had five people in your family and the plane tickets were $2,000 a piece, you're looking at $10,000 in debt the day you step off an airplane. And so people a lot of times will be like, oh, refugees are are freeloaders or they're just Mm -hmm. getting free things. No, it's, by the way, you're in a new country. Most refugees don't know the language. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's your your bill. Here's your debt you owe. Mm -hmm. Um, Now... And most refugees, depending on what agency they come through, have a certain amount of time that they have to find a job, Mm -hmm. to learn the language, Mm -hmm. and to be fully functioning in the new society. So I want you to think about this if you're listening. You've left your country originally, uh, your home country, everything you've known, your family, your traditions, your culture, your friends, 
the place you grew up, grandma's house, mm-hmm. the places you had your Sunday meals, the you know the things that made you you, you thought. You went to a camp, you spent time there, developed a new culture, a new friends, new family, new home, and then you move again. But this time you're moving into a major metropolitan area where you don't speak the language, mm-hmm. where you don't know how to get around, you don't know how to read your mail, you don't even know how to get your mail, you know. Yeah. You don't you yeah. can't drive, mm-hmm. so you gotta navigate mass transit systems like buses and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you're in debt, and you have a certain amount of time to find a job, get your kids in school, and everybody function like a normal American family. It is nearly impossible. Yes. And so I don't want people to get the idea that refugees just show up, you know, and everything's good. <laughs> yes. I've seen refugees like week two and they haven't left their house yet because they're so scared they just don't know how to get out Mm -hmm. and and, you know i'm i'm from america and first couple times in a really big city that's new to me i'm nervous you know it's Mm -hmm. like how do i get around the city could you imagine you know phoenix metropolitan area has like four and a half five million people right and huge buildings and sections of towns that are you know 45 minutes an hour apart and you got to find a job, but you can't speak the language. And so that's kind of the premise that people are walking into. Mm-hmm. That's where we often have the time to minister to people and speak into their life is during that time of, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? So as you were talking, it reminded me of something. Right after we met Vicki and Shakina, and we were um, at their house, and you were helping Shakina get signed up for school to go to high school. And I remember... Like, figuring out that for her to get to high school, she had to ride, like, public transportation Uh in Phoenix. And I, like, myself was, like, almost having a panic attack thinking about having to navigate the public transportation system to go to high school. Like, that was just out. Like, I never had to do that myself. And still, like, as an adult, I would be nervous having to do that. And when Mm -hmm. we found that out, I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I got nervous for her. Like, we have to figure out a different different plan for this. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that first day she came to go to school. I drove her to school, and we stopped at Jack in the Box to eat. And everybody just looked at me like, what do we do? Order some food. What do we order? Whatever you want. (laughs) And... uh, but that was awesome, like yeah. getting to see Shakina go to school and, and, and grow up in that and adjusted well. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember long conversations with her counselor, arguing for credit for classes yes. from the refugee camp. And yes. She wanted to bring her in as, I think, a sophomore or freshman. Freshman. And she was a junior, and it was like, we got to work through this. But anyway, so, <laughs> so that that's, you know, people come here. And so that's kind of the, the basis. And, and, and that's for somebody that, just sorry not to cut you, but that's, that's for fine. somebody that speaks English. Yeah. So think of somebody that doesn't speak English if they came from right. um, Africa and they were in the um, senior year. Mm-hmm. And they come here and you find that they have to go back to right. ninth grade or mm-hmm. eighth grade. And, it, it's, and really let's be real honest. Like, if... And I don't mean this to say anything about me, but if, mm-hmm. like I was there with Shakina, and so I knew that I could, as an American person, mm-hmm. as a person who was comfortable in the culture, I knew I could, for lack of a better word, argue on her behalf. <laughs> yes. And uh, and push to get what she deserved. Mm-hmm. But had she been alone, mm-hmm. she would have been ended up as a freshman. True. And then probably as a freshman would have been like, it's not worth it. I'm not going. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to stick another four years out and be 21, 22 when I graduate high school. Uh-huh. And, and that's the situation a lot of refugees get in. Yes. Is they have no idea what they're supposed them. to be doing. And and they end up dropping out of school mm-hmm. or they end up 
you know, just quitting because they're so overwhelmed. Yes. They've already been to two or three years of high school, and now here they are starting all over again, mm-hmm. and they're going to be older and can't speak the language. And so, all right. So that is kind of the, kind of the baseline. They come, come in debt, got to adjust three months or six months, depending on who they, they come with. I couldn't imagine learning a language, by the way, in three months or six months mm-hmm. to the point to communicate with people and know a culture, know a transit system, you know, those kind of things, to be able to get around, find a job. Yeah. You know. it's, it's so it's harder the older you get it's harder for you to catch on languages yeah so yeah and so um, and a lot and you know, some of the refugees that come are older adults right yes. not a ton of them but a lot of them are a lot yeah. of them are young people yeah uh, just another stat if you're you're a stat person almost 50% of refugees are women and girls mm-hmm. and 46% of those are under the age of 18 years old and so wow. think about that so a whole bunch of women a whole bunch of girls most of them are under 18 years old or at least around half and so uh, anyway just a, just a thought to help people frame their mind when people get here and so that's just people who get here like we don't have stats for canada or australia or switzerland or norway norway Finland. yeah those places like they may do something totally different, mm-hmm. but we can only speak into these situations. And also to clarify, like you guys didn't get to choose to come to the United States, right? No, no. They just said, "This is the country you're going to. Mm-hmm. This is the city you're going to. See you later." Like yeah. even if you don't like like it, like this you is it. You have no choice. What they give you is what you take. Um, you go into America. You go into Australia. You go into Canada. You Finland. You you whatever they give you, that's what you take, and yeah. you have nothing to say about it. And that's why. If you say no, they'll just put your file on the side. Because I think we knew a family, mm-hmm. and they, have, they had a, a family, mm-hmm. um, a relative here in Australia, though. Mm-hmm. But then when they had passed, they told them that they were going to send them to America. Mm-hmm. And they were like, we don't want to go to America. We want to go to Australia. Mm-hmm. They told them, no, we are going to send you guys to America. That's, what, that's the country that yeah. picked your family. And they said no. So... They didn't. They never left. They, I don't know if they're still in the camp right now, mm-hmm. but they had stayed like they had placed their file on the site for like almost ten years. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then when we went there, and then when we started our process of coming to America, they started their process too again, and they still placed them in America. So it I didn't don't know. Matter. <laughs> yeah. It didn't. It doesn't matter. So yeah. whatever they give you, that's what you take. If you don't yeah. want to take that, it, either you take it or stay. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you guys got Phoenix, and I'm so thankful that you did. I mean, it was... We are, too. And, uh, you know, you came in February, which was a blessing, by the mm-hmm. way, because if you had come in, like, July or August <laughs> in Phoenix, you might have, like, take me back to the camp. I'm not getting off the airplane. Yeah. It's too hot. But, but uh, I'm so thankful that you guys ended up here. And isn't it neat to see the way God orchestrates things, mm-hmm. you know? You could have ended up in any country. Or, or even any city in the United mm-hmm. States. I wanted to go to Australia. Yeah, Australia. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> uh, but God brought you guys here, and yeah. you've been a blessing to many, many, many people and got to do many things, mm-hmm. honestly, that many refugees haven't. Yeah. You, know, you guys have been able to travel. You've been able to adjust to life. You've been able to have extended family, mm-hmm. friends. Uh, you've been able to get married, Vicky, and, and you know, and start a life of your own, and so it's been, been really, really good. Okay, so speak to it. Yeah, written uh, an average refugee family that doesn't know the language arrives here. You've met many, many, many of them when they first arrive. Most of them are from Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shakina even has friends from some Asian countries that have come as refugees. They're just so confused. It's it's a very big city, mm-hmm. 
and um, like transportation is also the issue. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I'm pretty sure back home everybody just walks to their destination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're but, not walking around Phoenix. Yes, you yeah. can't walk around yeah. here. Yeah. So it's like it's really hard for them to get resources or information on things. Mm-hmm. Um, because like some information I find out about right now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish I knew about this back mm. then. But it's just so hard to get the information if you're like not in a set of group of certain people or speaking the same lang- language. Because I know when I came, I was speaking British English yeah. and we're arguing about how we say water. <laughs> <laughs> so they go... Um, they go through a hard time and it's just nice if you like it's so nice if you like help them and mm-hmm. you see them go through like actually advance because um i have a family i have a very close friend that i helped in 2016 um i helped them register at alhambra too and until today i know them and then when they talk to me i'm like oh my gosh you can actually speak clear english yeah. now <laughs> so it's good yeah it's a good feeling what do you think? Any thoughts? Um, she said pretty much everything. Yeah. But yeah, it's really hard when people get here. Like on the like on your first day, like they put you in an apartment. Um, and usually the apartments aren't in nice parts of town. No, right? mm-hmm. not at all. <laughs> and yeah. sometimes it's like you're a family of like seven or eight and they give you like two bedrooms mm-hmm. apartments yeah. you know so you have to figure out who's sleeping where you know mm-hmm. how do you um, get a bed how do we get a bed yeah and then when it comes to food the food that you find that's totally different mm-hmm. with what we know mm-hmm. and so you find that some people don't even know how to turn on a mm-hmm. stove right and so you find out too that they haven't eaten for two haven't cooked well we don't know what to cook you yeah. know because there's what mashed potatoes there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pizza, frozen yeah. pizza in there. Um, I remember so, one time taking a family spaghetti to cook, and I'm now I'm thinking, why would I have done that? Uh-huh. Like, why would I have? <laughs> Come on, you know. And I think the meat went bad before they knew what to do it. Yes, yeah. you know, and some people are even afraid to even touch the fridge. Like they have, they've yeah. never seen a fridge yeah. before, so they don't even know what it is. So mm-hmm. they will be like. You just find them sitting there and scared, doing that yeah. and scared. Like they don't yeah. even want to move in their own apartment, yeah. you know. So um, yeah, that's that's a very that's one of the struggles. And then transportation, like Shakina said, um, you know, people from Africa they want to eat their own African food. So right. you have to figure out like where can I get this? Where can yeah. I buy this? So, um, who's gonna take me yeah, there? Yeah. When it comes to work, like, okay, I don't know English, or if they send you an important document from the mm-hmm. UN, I mean, um, the immigration mm-hmm. IRS, um, you have to find somebody that speaks your language and speaks English that they can read and tell you what it said. Yeah. Some have never used the bank before, mm-hmm. so um, it's yeah, it's really really hard. Yeah. I remember really our caseworker. When we first got um, got to the apartment, she started showing us how to switch on the lights to flash, mm-hmm. and we're all we, like, because we <laughs> knew it, we all got her. so offended. And 
I never understood why she was like showing us like uh-huh. yeah. pretty straightforward things and then later on when she got to know us she's like oh okay you guys are the like only advanced family I've got because one time we, we were called to an apartment because the lights were on and the um the people who were living there they were trying to switch off the lights and they didn't know how to switch yeah. off the lights so they poured they were trying to pour water oh, on it oh. and then, yes and then the electricity went crazy yeah somebody was dr- <laughs> drinking um the water from the Twi- like the toilet like oh the, my the toilet yeah. yes mm. so she was like yeah that that is why every single time i get a family i have to like show them step by yeah. step mm-hmm. so yeah you're trying to make people not feel silly but at the same but time help them, the help them. yes there's a wide variety of where people have come from mm-hmm. and so real quick before we i want to talk to you about like how can people best minister to refugees when they first come but i want you to react to this stat um, because I, I think one of the things that uh, people don't realize is the loneliness that refugees experience when they first come, especially yes. if there isn't a large population of their culture in the city that they're coming to. True. Um, there's a stat that says less than half of all refugees are invited into the home of a U.S. person, an American person, during their first year. Mm. And so, like, they just sit at home, you know, with their family. With their family. Or, I was completely shocked, like... You can be living in a place for like a year and you won't even know how your neighbor looks. Mm-hmm. In Africa, like the same day you move into a place, you already know your neighbors. Mm-hmm. Like they just come and welcome yeah. you, bring you stuff. Oh, I live over there. If you need salt, just let me know. Yeah. I live over there. If you yeah. need a tomato or onions, just let me know. And so you know everybody. Mm-hmm. But in the U.S., it will take you almost a year to know your neighbor. Yeah. And even if you know them, it's from outside. Yeah. It's, Hi, how are you? That's it. Sometimes yeah. you don't even get a how are you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, Hi, okay, bye. <laughs> That's it. So that was very stressful for me too. Yeah. yeah, that was really stressful because I come from a place where I know everybody. Yeah. Yes, our family is big, but we also have extended families and yeah. friends. We had friends that we took as families in, mm-hmm. you know. So... Um, it was really stressful for yeah. me too because all I knew is the apartment, stand outside the balcony and just see people run around or kids or the neighbors leaving. Some will look at you weird, mm-hmm. some will give you a yeah. high and that's it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's very surprising. Like yeah. even now sometimes I don't understand why Americans are like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it speaks to, to the heart of the church as well. Um, as followers of Jesus, yeah, we should be aware of the people who are around us yeah, and uh, be open to bringing people into our life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where I want to go next is, is how to best minister to refugees. Because if we know stuff about refugees, but we don't know how to minister to refugees, um, if we don't have a heart to reach them, then I think we're missing out on one of the big hearts of, of, of God. And, yes. and one of the, the, the aspects of the gospel is, is to reach uh, people obviously that the gospel is good news and it's not just good news to us but it's it's something that we should live and breathe and share with others and uh, Matthew 28 18 through 20 everybody knows the Great Commission go and make disciples of all nations mm-hmm. right baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit well used to when we thought about that verse we thought that it meant we have to go to all the nations, or most people kind of got that picture in their mind mm-hmm. that in order to reach the nations for Christ, we had to leave where we are, and many people still do, and that's great, and we should. 
But one of the neat things about the time that we're in is that with refugees, immigrants in general, um, God is bringing the nations to us, mm-hmm. right? And so, yes. um, especially in a city like Phoenix, you can walk out the door mm-hmm. and meet people from multiple nations living in the same apartment complex. There's a, yeah. a, an apartment complex that we work in to do ministry, and there are literally people literally from all over the world in the same apartment complex Mm -hmm. within a hundred yards of each other multiple dozens and dozens and dozens of countries represented Mm -hmm. and so i want to ask you guys what what do you think in your mind is the best way that people can minister to refugees when they first come not just when they first come but kind of walk them through their life like what how can they be friends with them and then how can they show them jesus because not everybody comes from christian countries and so we have this opportunity to reach people from all over the world. And so how can people best minister to them, best show them Jesus when they first arrive and then walk with them through through their life? Well, it's also it's also comes down to like age groups. Mm-hmm. It's different for every age group. Like um, for teens, um, Africans are really like refugees. Let me say, are really very social people mm-hmm. because we come from a social place whereby we talk to everybody. We do not pick who um, we talk to. Mm-hmm. So, like, I have friends from like every single like country. I feel like I have a friend from there. <laughs> so, um, the, I feel like it's so hard for people to just walk up to somebody and talk to them because I get like. People say that Americans are angry people, but um, it's so. It's if you just walk up to somebody and be like, "Oh, hi, how are you doing?" You know, they'll they'll reply. We actually like talking to people. We like making friends. So if you just, as long, the first step is to just say hi, and then just keep the conversation going. Yeah. Like that, you have to show love to a neighbor. Like yeah. that should just be yeah, a natural, natural thing natural that we do. Yeah, as a Christian, it should be a natural thing. Mm-hmm. Even if your neighbor looks different than you, mm-hmm. even if your neighbor doesn't speak the same language as you, or has a funny accent, mm-hmm. or wears something on their head, or wears different clothes, like love on them. Mm-hmm. If they're a Christian and they're a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, love them and help them. If they're not a believer, love them and point them to Jesus. Share the gospel with them. Yeah. Because one thing that I've realized is that every refugee who comes here still has family in other countries, Mm -hmm. every single one of them, Mm -hmm. and has friends in other countries. So you take a a non-believer, a refugee who comes here not as a follower of Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. They encounter a Christian, Christian shares the gospel with them, shows them Jesus, loves them, and is able to lead them to Christ. Mm -hmm. That refugee has the potential now, because they have family in other parts of the world, they're going to call mm-hmm. their friend back in Africa or Asia or the Middle East and say, I follow Jesus now. Yes. And so by reaching that one refugee in one city, mm-hmm. in one town in America, you have an opportunity to impact the world. Mm-hmm. Because maybe they call back to their friends in the refugee camp and tell them, and then they share the gospel with them. And then those refugees get resettled in another country. And now they go there as Christians and take the gospel with them. And so yeah. it isn't just... Be friends to them. It's love them like Jesus would love them. And watch what God can do through loving your neighbor. Definitely. Being hospitable. I would just I want to give an example of you, you know. Yeah. We met you even though you were not our neighbors, you were we were far away, like an hour mm-hmm. from each other, but the way you welcomed us and showed us around and helped us around and just because you knew us 
or we got to knew to know you mm-hmm. now you know a lot of people mm-hmm. in Africa right you went to the camp because we connected you yeah. with somebody mm-hmm. that would told them about mm-hmm. you that hey you know yeah. we know this person yeah. and so now you're in the refugee camp and you know a lot of people mm-hmm. there because of you know the ministry yeah. that you are doing yeah. sharing the gospel and stuff like that so it really does help yes it does it opens the door that's mm-hmm. to do like because the moment you connect with the refugee and i'm not just saying hi or whatever but like they become your friend and become mm-hmm. part of your life you are now welcomed into their world yeah. and their world is is huge Big. but when they have family and they have a camp and and like, I never thought in a million years that I would be standing in a refugee camp. Like, mm-hmm. I just never would have thought that. But God opened that door mm-hmm. um, through you guys through getting to know you, spend time with you. And now we have the opportunity to go and share Christ in the camp and other places in Malawi. We don't just work in the camp in Malawi, mm-hmm. outside of the camp. Um, we get to, to do that. Um, and we go back to Congo and spend time there. Um, yeah. And so it's a really, really, really neat thing when you... When you love your neighbor, and mm-hmm. so that's really important to do. Um, oh, a couple of questions I, I, I want to kind of finish with too. Or did you have any more you wanted to add to that? Mm-mm. Okay, um, I've noticed something about refugees that when they come, they have this way of finding other people from their own culture um, really quickly. It's really neat. But why do you think that refugees cling so closely to their own culture when they come? For example. Uh, you're going to find, not not completely, but like, say, for example, Congolese refugees generally all go to church together, mm-hmm. or there's multiple churches, but they're Congolese refugees at each church. And it's like this Congolese church, Congolese church, Congolese church. Or you might have a Burundian church over here. You might have a Korean church over here. You might have, does that make sense? And so why do you think that refugees cling so closely to their culture once they come here? I think it's also like, um, I think you feel like you belong there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So first, like when we, when we got here, the first place, the first person we met w- was a refugee from Congolese, mm-hmm. from Congo, I mean. And so he took us to a church mm-hmm. that he was going to. And so while we were there and we came back home, they just showed us so much mm-hmm. love. They came to visit. They um, help us with transportation to go to work. Um, they showed us around, you know. So I feel like they know what you need. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you hang around with them because, you know, they know what they need. And then they become kind of like family mm-hmm. to you as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just feel like it's belonging. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you know where you belong. You yeah. know where you come from. Like what I understand, you yeah. understand. Mm-hmm. What I know, you don't. Um, Even just like the language and yeah. the mannerisms, yes. you don't have to, it's like the one place you don't have to like adjust everything to fit in. Uh-huh. Right? Force yourself. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like you're not trying to have to think, if I say this, am I saying it wrong? Mm-hmm. Or what do I do here? You know, I don't know what's the custom or whatever. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I think it's like, us clinging to our own culture, it's because, it's because um, when you see like, you come and then especially if you don't even know the language and you're just walking around and then it's you just 
when you see somebody you just know oh my gosh this person's african mm -hmm. you know and for africans we talk to everybody mm -hmm. whether i know you whether i don't know you i <laughs> see you i'm gonna talk statement. to you yeah. <laughs> so um so when once we like once they see the other african person it, it doesn't hit them what if i talk to them they don't want to talk you you just go oh, hi you're Congolese right they're like oh yes are you guys new because mm -hmm. it's like we we'll know like we go to parties mm -hmm. weddings churches we know like okay this is a new person and um, once they find out that oh there's a new person we just get your number mm -hmm. your address and the next day we'll just show up at yeah. your house with yeah. gifts and everything so yeah. it's like it's the it's our comfort zone mm -hmm. you know we like we don't have we don't have to think like oh what language am mm -hmm. i supposed to say to this person for mm -hmm. them to understand us mm -hmm. um and it's always um the reason like we have like so many like we go to congolese churches mm -hmm. is because somebody approaches us and take us to a congolese church yeah. and it's always an african person because uh, yeah. if you if because we have a family that the first family that had approached them is actually um actually a western family mm -hmm. they are white and they actually go to a white church because mm -hmm. that's the first people that had welcomed yeah. them. So, but it, it that's not really common. It's mm -hmm. really common for just like um, an, an an African coming and yeah. most of the times when an African comes here, they already know somebody for some reason. Yeah. And the person will be like, oh yeah, there's a new family. Mm -hmm. I saw a new family. I met a new family yeah. here and things like yeah. that. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. And so my next kind of question is, I had talked about how uh, you know, as, as American Christians, we should be you know, welcoming of refugees and love our neighbors. So flip it around the other way. Do you generally feel like like the refugee culture, how they're clinging to it, are they open to outsiders coming into the culture? So say like you know, a group of Africans are, are meeting for an event. Are they generally open to have non-African people there, like oh, welcome yeah. into their oh, world? we love it. We just love seeing them <laughs> in our clothes, trying our food, you know. Dancing our music. Our music. So. Yeah, we are very, I think with us um, refugees, just like Shakina said, we come from like a very social place. Mm -hmm. Like we are open with like sharing whatever, whatever we have. Mm -hmm. So whether it's culture, whether it's food, clothes, like we just want to show you whatever we know so you know we welcome you like we give our all to you you yeah. know we are not trying to show you that we are perfect mm -hmm. or we don't want to embarrass ourselves mm -hmm. no so so if this is what we eat here you go yeah. this is fufu let's eat fufu this is what we dress okay here you go this is how we dress yeah. you know so we are very open to just welcome everybody yeah. into the culture whoever is willing to learn teach you yeah that's yeah. awesome yeah. and I can speak firsthand uh, that that is true um, I've been to um, every Congolese church I think in Phoenix and I know <laughs> many 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 Congolese refugees and it's it just becomes normal if you yeah, will yeah. like uh, to see you there and so I can encourage the people who are listening if this pasty white guy that originally <laughs> is from Kentucky can fit in with refugees I remember the first time uh, that well, not the first time I don't think, but one of the early times of going to church with a bunch of Congolese refugees, and uh, at the end of the church service they had a dance, you know, kind of like just yes. a fun time to dance. Mm -hmm. I remember dancing, and I cannot. <laughs> dance, so. But it was just I thought if I can do this and it connects me with people and, and allows me to just enjoy their life mm -hmm. and then mine, uh, I'll do it. And so yeah. we danced and. We, like in our home, we, we obviously, because we have African people in our home, our children are African too. And so um, 
we have African food in our home. We everybody in our house has African clothes, and so, <laughs> yes. um, uh, you know, obviously it makes sense. But, but don't I say that all this to say like if you're listening, like don't be nervous or scared mm-hmm. uh, to reach out to people from another culture, yeah. because more than likely they're going to welcome you, and more than likely not very many people are reaching out to their culture to yes. their people anyway. And so they're going to enjoy having you there. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, just teaching you about them because because refugees have come as learners and all they ever do is learn. Mm-hmm. And all they ever do is have somebody tell them what to do and yes. how to be and what to say. And for once, it gives them the opportunity to share the wealth and the love of their culture mm-hmm. with people. And I think that's really important yes. like to, to value other people's culture and say, your culture is beautiful. Share it with me. Mm-hmm. And then... Then you know if you're the dad or the mom, you're able to share that with your kids, and it's just a really really neat thing. And so I appreciate you guys sharing that. My final question, I think this is my final question. Unless Brittany, do you have one? My final question is this, kind of a fun one. So now, as African refugees, what is it like being part of a white family too? (laughs) (laughs) You came thinking you were always going to be part of a black family, and then now you are. Part of a white American family. Our family photos from <laughs> weddings and just getting together it's always look so funny. Yeah, it we does. get weird. Look. We can't go to restaurants now because of Corona. But when we would go to a restaurant, the looks like people almost get up and leave <laughs> because it's like we have. And, and our listeners know we have obviously white children. We have native children. We have mm-hmm. uh, African children. Some big, some small. It's like we have this. People ask us about all, you know, of all kinds too. of crazy stuff. So, what is it like now being for you guys being a part, not just of an African family but a white family too? Like you said in the beginning about how you have such a big family that you don't even bother trying to explain it. Yeah. But as it opens it, because we actually have to explain it. Because yeah. sometimes when I'm facetiming you at school, yeah. and then um, they see you on the phone, and after you get off on the phone, yeah. they're like, "Who was that?" I'm like, "Oh, it's my dad." Oh, your dad is white. <laughs> I'm like, ah, uh, yeah, my dad is white and he's black, so you know, it's 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 very funny. And um, some people like get, like, give you such an expression like, yeah. what are you talking about? Yeah. I remember when I had a um, hard time with this one teacher who was giving me a hard time, and yeah. I had taken you. Yeah, yeah, I remember. And when that. she had, when you had left later on, she's like, she I didn't know your dad was white, and I was like. Yeah, he's white. Yeah, I have a white dad. And then my friend was like, oh, now that explains why you are so light. You never understood. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm light-skinned because my dad is white. What do you expect? Oh, so you are mixed. I'm like, no, I am black. No, you are mixed. Your dad is white. I'm just like, okay, whatever you did, let it be like that. So it's it's pretty fun and thrilling because I'm just like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, for me, it's, it's funny and interesting at the same time because I feel like sometimes it's like you always have to explain like how is your dad white or how well we just family well yeah. we became family through this and this so you always have to like explain to them yeah. like okay this is how um we became family and yeah so this is why i call him dad yeah. you know um so it's it's different but it's fun and i like it yeah. and I the best it. part about it is like we get to talk about you know because the because of all this racial thing going yeah. on these days like certain races are so like afraid to talk about certain things or say mm-hmm. certain things to yeah, each other yeah. mm-hmm. so like i remember when one t- like 
way before we got super close and everything i was calling one of my sister fat yeah. and you're like you can't don't call her fat and i'm like it's it's okay so now it's just like regular so yeah. like we have conversations like with each other yeah that's regular like white people black people outside of yeah. us wouldn't have, wouldn't have. have right. cause yeah. like sometimes when I'm talking with my friends and they're like Shikina you have um, you can't say that because you have a white family I'm like even if they were standing here I would say it <laughs> yeah. because they know I would say it <laughs> yeah. it's not it's like they would understand they are yeah. very free with having this conversation yeah. Yeah. cause I remember one time Desire one of my friends you've met her uh-huh. um we were talking about races and everything and then she she had asked me a question and i didn't have an answer to it and i'm like oh a white person would answer you that question and i grabbed my phone i was like wait me let me call you let me call yeah. my she's like no 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 she'll get offended i'm like he won't get yeah. offended he's yeah. like no 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 no. i just i just can't ask him i'm yeah. just like okay you know <laughs> yeah. i gave you a chance yeah. so i'm just like that was her chance to find yeah. out like straight up from you yeah but it's pretty fun you know this is one of the conversation i had with claude um my husband because he also has he also has a uh a white family (laughs) let me say uh, a white dad and mom um in kansas you know Mm -hmm. and um so i was telling him i'm like you know um what your wife family have experienced and what my wife family has experienced like it's different like things that i would talk to my dad about and things that i would say like he will know how to understand them mm-hmm. compared to your your dad and mm-hmm. your mom because they've been to africa like they know what we think and mm-hmm. they've been around africans a lot so mm-hmm. they know their, our culture they know the way we communicate and when we say something it's not like we mean it in a bad way You're but right. it's you know we're just saying it the way it is yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> i like your parent they wouldn't understand yeah. that it's going to be offensive to yeah. them so yeah. you know yeah, sometimes you have to sugarcoat it yeah, or yeah, yeah. don't say it exactly or find a different way to say it yeah but with my dad, I can just say it the way it is. <laughs> that is <laughs> and true, and she, like, yeah. and she does. <laughs> and he will understand. Yeah, yeah but it's really cool. I, I, I love our family, and people probably get tired of hearing us talk about it, but mm-hmm. I really do. When when I see a family photo, and, and we don't, now that everybody's growing up and married, you know, some of you are married and stuff, we don't always all get to get together like we used to. Mm-hmm. But when we all do get to get together, we, we, we take a picture together or we have a family meal together, whatever. I just stare and sit back and go, man, God is good. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's a picture to me of the kingdom of God. People who come together from all over the world, all different cultures come together and we unite mm-hmm. as one family. Like we never, like no one ever feels like they're on the outside of the family. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not like, well, we have biological family here and and white family here, black family, brown family, mm-hmm. and everybody's separate. It's like, we're just family. Even mm-hmm. right now, the noise you hear outside of our podcast room <laughs> is our family playing together, right? Yep. And so people will look at me like I have grandchildren um, because of you guys. And people will look at me like, are you the world's youngest grandfather? <laughs> yes, I am. You yes, know? you are. <laughs> but yeah. uh, not really. I I'm technically would be old enough, I guess. But... Uh, mm-hmm. But it's just amazing, um, and, and I'm so thankful for you guys and appreciate your hearts and the way you 
you share your life with us and we're able to share with you guys and yeah. we will for for many many years to come mm-hmm. um, <laughs> just so. like as you were saying that just to put that in perspective i think you said earlier there's like 60 million refugees one percent of those get resettled we don't know what the resettlement is based on each country or city we don't know those stats but just to think about just that stat in general like one percent get resettled and then they got resettled to the United States, which they didn't get to pick, and to Phoenix, which they didn't get to pick. And just, like, there's no other explanation of how our family became family other than God. You yeah, know, like, absolutely. we couldn't have tried it on our own. Right. Like, it just, it would never have, have yeah. worked. And yeah. so, just to think through that is, like, just really neat. Yeah. And how we get to just experience life together and watch... Vicky learned to drive a car and, yeah. and be scared that to death. That was scary. <laughs> While we're driving down the road. <laughs> yeah, that and, was scary. <laughs> you know, see Shakina go to prom and, and high school, graduate high school, and Mamu have baby O. You know, yeah. I got to be in the delivery room. Yeah. And, awesome. you know, that was just amazing in itself. Yeah. And now Vicky's having a baby. Mm-hmm. Surprise! Surprise. You didn't know that. Sorry, I don't know if I was supposed to say it or not. She showed. Anyway, this is our podcast, so we'll say whatever. And, <laughs> uh, so she's having a baby in a month, and it's just neat to just see um, our family come together and then grow up, and and yeah. how that how that looks. And so we're just mm-hmm. so thankful to God for how He worked yeah. all things together for our yeah. good. Good. Yeah, and if you know me, I'm not an overly emotional person. I don't cry much or anything. But I remember one time I lost it. Like, Mamu was getting married mm-hmm. and we were having a traditional wedding kind of thing. And uh, and um, she was coming down to like do this cultural thing. and She's coming down the stairs and um, and like we, Brittany had to take a part in, in the little ceremony and I had to take a part in it, but I couldn't even speak. I was just like <laughs> overwhelmed. Here we are, all of our family together. Everybody mm-hmm. was together and, and we're sitting there and we're getting ready to send somebody off to be married. And it's like, we're playing a part in this. How did this happen? And it was like, mm-hmm. somebody called on me to pray and I couldn't even speak. I couldn't even get the words out because I was crying the whole time. Thinking how awesome God is that we brought our family together. Mm-hmm. And Vicky gets married, the same thing. I'm just an emotional <laughs> mess. And I even, oh, my goodness. And so, uh, but it is amazing to see how God has brought, uh, yeah. brought this together. And so an encouragement to anybody that's listening. Um, like, there's no end to what God can do if you just love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And don't put your family in a box. Like, this is my family and this is all it's ever going to be. Yes. God may grow it and do things with your family that you never, mm-hmm. never imagined. thank you for listening to this episode of the live love ministries podcast we hope it was encouraging made you think and broaden your understanding of our mission and the mission of making disciples of all nations You can find out more information about our ministry at www.liveloveministries.org. If God leads you to partner with us financially through prayer, or if you're interested in bringing a mission team to Arizona or one of our other locations, you can find that information on our website as well. Until next time, keep loving people and keep pointing people to Jesus. And we'll see you then.